Welcome to Cato Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Anastasia Glova. It's a slow week in Washington as everyone celebrates the holidays and rings in the new year. But for those of you listening this week, I'm featuring the best of Cato Daily Podcast. Each day until the new year, tune in for one of Cato's finest previously aired podcast commentaries. As the prospects for preventive war with Iran loom ever larger, Cato foreign policy analyst Justin Logan urges us to step back and take a hard look at the consequences of such a war, which could be disastrous. In the bottom line on Iran, the costs and benefits of preventive war versus deterrence, a policy analysis available today on our website, Justin lays out the case for why in Iran, deterrence is the better answer. So Justin, what is the bottom line on Iran? Well, this paper was really an attempt to look at the options that will be facing the United States if whatever diplomatic approach fails. And I think, unfortunately, at this point, there's a fairly good chance that the diplomatic approach that we have now embarked upon via the Bush administration with Iran will fail. So it's sort of an attempt to look at the ultimate question that will face us as whether we should attempt to use military force to try to delay the Iranian nuclear program. And from looking at the costs and benefits both of trying to attack Iran in order to delay its nuclear program or trying to cobble together a policy of containment and deterrence in the region, the prospects of preventive war, number one, achieving its goal, which is a meaningful delay in the Iranian nuclear program so as to prevent the mullah's acquisition of a bomb would have extremely high costs. And I conclude in the paper that given a number of assumptions that go into this calculation making, that that appears to be a higher cost policy to the United States than putting together a policy of containment and deterrence. So it's important to acknowledge, and I do at the outset of the paper, that there are no good options with respect to the Iranian nuclear program. But it's what I hope is a hard look at the costs and benefits of both policies, containment and deterrence on the one hand, and on the other hand, a policy of attacking Iran to try to delay their nuclear weapons capability. How did you go about calculating such intangibles and weighing the costs and benefits? Well, that's a good question. You have to make a number of assumptions. And I think the one assumption that I think is essential to this debate, and really you have to talk about before you can even get started, is this question of whether or not the clerical leadership in Tehran is rational, whether or not they're acting from sort of theological and ideological imperatives, or whether they're weighing costs and benefits and trying to advance their position in the international system. And this has been alluded to by a lot of people on the hawkish side of this debate who say, look at this fellow Ahmadinejad, he's making all these reprehensible comments about the Holocaust, he's saying that Israel should be wiped off the map. How possibly could you imply that this man should be trusted with a nuclear weapons capability? And it's a good question. And I think that if you look, the first answer to that is that Mr. Ahmadinejad, thankfully, it's sort of perverse to say, is not the center of power in Tehran. I think you need to look very much more at the supreme leader, sort of aptly named Ayatollah Khamenei, who is by most accounts, the man who's pushing the buttons in Tehran. And if you look at his track record, and even the track record of the most extreme of them all, Ayatollah Khomeini, you see that these people have resorted to very scary rhetoric during the Iran-Iraq war. The mullahs erected what was supposed to be a fountain of blood in Tehran and made a number of uncompromising statements about their goals. But when it came down to it, you could see fairly clearly that they were weighing costs and benefits rationally and making calculations 
calculations based on that. So that's the first assumption that you have to make. But there are a number of other assumptions about regional responses, et cetera. And like I say, I try to sort of tease out worst cases and best cases on both sides to get a hard look at the options we face. Let's say I'm not convinced. Can you walk me through the consequences of such a war? What would happen in a year, five years, the long term? Well, it's interesting because the case for preventive bombing of Iranian nuclear facilities is based on a number of assumptions. It's not just one assumption. What it would do, according to the advocates of such a policy, is delay the Iranian nuclear program. There's essentially no one who is saying that we could wipe out the Iranian nuclear program with preventive military strikes. But then what they say is that during that interval, which we have delayed the nuclear program, whether it's three years or five years or what have you, that we could work to overthrow the clerical leadership in Tehran and replace it with something more acceptable. The first problem with that is that our ability to remove a regime and replace it with something more acceptable, the difficulty with that is on display in Iraq. The second problem is that bombing countries generally tends to have the effect of shoring up the incumbent government, as we saw in Serbia, we saw in a number of other places. And so the problem with this strategy is that if the idea is to delay the acquisition of a nuclear bomb so that you can get in place a government that's more acceptable to the West, the problem is that the very act of bombing may shore up the Mullah's domestic political situation. So I think that's a real problem with that strategy and I think it needs to be faced. What reason do you have to believe that Iran's clerics can successfully be deterred? Well, that's sort of the fundamental question before you can even get into this kind of a discussion. And I think, again, looking at the track record of the clerical leadership, you can see that they have actually played a fairly savvy, canny diplomatic game. They are uncompromising. They have a number of objectives that are very much at odds with United States interests. But the question of will they launch an unprovoked nuclear first strike out of some ideological or theological imperative? I think is very much a dubious proposition. They have greatly advanced their position in the region via the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. They have become a much more powerful actor in the region, and they've been emboldened by these actions. But to assert that these folks are going to start a nuclear war, I think is something that needs to be looked at very carefully. And as I say in the paper, I go into some detail looking at, for example, the Kobar Towers bombing and, and the U.S. and Iranian responses to that. That's a bit murkier because it's recent and there's very much it's not been declassified yet talking about the U.S. response to that action. And then also looking at their behavior during the Iran-Iraq war, where, as I said, there was this great deal of uncompromising rhetoric. The Iranians said that they would never back down, et cetera, et cetera. But when it came down to it and the United States and Western countries threw their lot behind Saddam Hussein and it became clear to the Iranians that they weren't going to win, they sued for peace, which doesn't imply irrationality. But wouldn't a policy of deterrence just simply serve to embolden Iran? If they know that we will not condone a course of action that will lead us to war, they can use that knowledge as leverage. Well, that's true. And I don't think that the Bush administration should try to enter into negotiations with Iran saying we've taken military options off the table. I wouldn't, however, continually make these remarks about all the options are on the table. 
and let leaks come out of the administration that a military option is in the offing. I don't think you're going to get a very good diplomatic result taking military action off the table, but I think you need to really be guarded about boxing yourself into a rhetorical corner where your credibility is on the line because you've said things like the Bush administration has said, like, we will not tolerate a nuclear Iran, which is fairly clear. And if you end up tolerating something which you've said you're not going to tolerate, that's a very prickly situation you found yourself in. If you enjoyed this program, consider subscribing to Cato Audio, a dynamic 60-minute monthly recording that brings you inside the Cato Institute for highlights from exceptional, one-of-a-kind lectures and events on key issues of the day presented by nationally known scholars, authors, and political leaders. Cato Audio is available on our website as well as on iTunes and audible.com.